Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for making AOA a part of your day today. We're going to take a look at some issues moving agriculture. Taking a look at the markets, first and foremost, we've got some slow trade here. A little bit of red in the wheat market. Chicago wheat down six to seven cents here. The trade is waiting on that March USDA World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates. Those will be coming out later on Wednesday morning. We'll dig into the details tomorrow with Jim McCormick of agmarket.net right here on AOA. Today, we're going to talk about some cover crop funding that's moving into Missouri, going to help double the acreage of cover crops. We're going to talk with Rob Myers about that in segment two. We're also going to check in, get another perspective on that USDA proposal earlier this week to label meat, eggs, and dairy product of the U.S. only if they have been born, raised, slaughtered, and processed in the United States. Leah Biondo, Executive Vice President of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association, will be joining us. They are thrilled to see this proposal from USDA, and she'll walk us through the why later in the program. Before we dive into all of that, however, we've got growers gearing up for spring planting. They're gathering in Orlando this week for the Commodity Classic 2023, and one group that is going to be in Orlando excited to talk to growers about this upcoming season is BASF. Joining us now is Brady Spangenberg. He's the marketing director for crop protection over at BASF, and Brady, thanks for making time for us today. Thanks for having me, Mike. Glad to be here. Now, let's talk a little bit about what is new in 2023 from a crop protection perspective at BASF. Brady, what growers need to keep an eye out for this year? The first main thing we're talking about is the billion-dollar issue uh, that is out there in the marketplace, and that is a potential for uh, weed resistance. And and where we get the billion dollars from is um, over half of of farmers are facing respray potential because of that resistance issue. And uh, so our recommendation is starting strong with a pre, layering in a residual uh, herbicide, and really getting that that crop to canopy uh, clean and um, allowing then that uh, uh, canopy cover then to help uh, control those weeds all the way to the end of the season. And I think if, uh, you know, sub-optimizing, trying to, trying to wait until you have a problem is one of the biggest ways that uh, uh, farmers can get off on the wrong foot uh, to start the year. Yeah, that is a great point. And especially in an environment like this in 2023, where there is some resources on farms across the country, might be a time to be proactive. Brady, what sort of recommendations are you giving to growers as they're looking to to tackle these issues here this year? The main recommendation that we have is plan and plan early together with your retailer. Um, you know, the, 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 the environment and the climate is, is providing fewer suitable field work days. So making sure that you have a plan in place, that you have um, your needs uh, booked together with your retailer. Uh, so when those field work days do open up, you're ready to go. And I think that's where, uh, again, partnering with your dealer on a, on a strong pre-residual herbicide, like a Verdict herbicide in corn or Zidua Pro in soybeans, and then really planning that second pass application um, of a uh, group 15 herbicide like Outlook or, or residual herbicides uh, to ensure you have good, strong coverage throughout that early growing season. 
Brady, you mentioned there the, uh, the the importance of getting in touch with your dealer, making sure those plans are in place ahead of this growing season. And I'm wondering, over the past couple of years, we've seen so many issues with supply chain. How are we looking on product supply here in this country for this next year? Product supply uh, has improved. I think also the visibility throughout the supply chain has improved as well. So there's more communication between us and the channel and growers to ensure that the right product is in the right geography uh, at the right time. And I think that's probably the biggest thing is just better communication throughout the channel and partnering uh, together with them so that growers uh, can feel more confident that the product is available. And I think the other thing, the other side of that is also earlier planning. And that's a real habit that I think everyone has developed over the past couple of years. Um, you know, we've, we've kept a financing offer at 0% for growers um, so that they can better plan with their dealers on what their needs are. And the, and the earlier they can communicate their intentions and, and which products they intend to spray, I think the more time that allows for that product to show up um, uh, for them to use. Brady, you got to love hearing 0% interest in an environment that we're in today with interest rates climbing. How else is BASF working with farmers to keep these inputs affordable here heading into this growing season? Uh, you know, operating loans have increased 15% in the past year and a half. Um, and, and that's real money, right? And, and we want, uh, you know, our focus together in partnering with growers is, is to make sure that that plan is in place early. And then if that plan falls apart for whatever reason, right, uh, product didn't perform, you didn't get rain, um, you know, something else happened, we do have weed control guarantees uh, also in place uh, so that we can also cover the cost of a respray because we know that is one of the most um, uh, frustrating aspects uh, of a weed control program when you do all your planning and then you still got weeds escaping or you still got growing weeds. So uh, having those in place as well just to make sure that, um, you know, when folks do invest in a BSF product, they can be sure that, that we'll be there with a the respray if needed. It's nice to have that kind of security blanket as you invest this sort of capital in your operation. Brady, one other area we've seen a ton of interest from a lot of major input suppliers is the push towards technology and digital agriculture. Mm -hmm. What do you have on tap there for growers from BASF this year? Our main focus is trying to help uh, support growers uh, in making better decisions earlier. And I think that's uh, from a digital perspective, there are different ways that you can help support those decisions. One of the ways is, is through um, uh, an application called Zarvio Field Manager uh, that can also help growers sort of track um, general uh, management of their field. And then the, the key aspects we're piloting this year are then uh, additional alerts um, around uh, different timings of the season. So, um, you know, are you going to get an activating rainfall for your herbicide uh, with using utilizing Outlook herbicide or or verdict that activation window only requires a quarter inch of rain. We can provide additional insights around when that forecast is really shaping up so that growers can feel more secure uh, in getting an activating rainfall when they apply the herbicide. That is very cool. Have growers so far liked the capability that Zarvio Field Manager brings to the table? I think it's growing in popularity. And I think the, the key thing that we're trying to accomplish is really honing in on those key moments that matter. Um, you know, you, you can track everything on the farm, but really what are the key things that are really going to drive that performance? And, and we think herbicide activation is, is one of the key aspects that, that drive that performance and drive the interest. 
because um, you know you go through all the work of planning, go through all the work of getting the sprayer out in the field, and then nothing happens because the weather went against you. And and that is one of the more frustrating aspects, and that's something that we can really support from a digital agriculture perspective. Bringing these tools and technologies back home to the grower to provide some incentive for that bottom line. It's fantastic, folks. We've been talking with Brady Spangenberg, the marketing director for crop protection at BASF. And Brady, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Of course. And folks, stay with us. Rob Myers, the director of the University of Missouri Center for Regenerative Ag, will join us here when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the Monthly Grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Troy Schneider and Janice Hiley of the Market Development Action Team joined us looking ahead to Commodity Classic. Janice, are you excited? Next week, March 9th through 11th, will be the Commodity Classic. This year, it's being held in Orlando, Florida. Our booth is at the trade show floor and just amazing place to check out, by the way, if you're in town. And we're in booth 1603. Troy, what can farmers expect at the NCGA booth this year? Well, Mike, as the producers come on into the trade show floor, we're going to be there in the center stage as one of the main sponsors. And that's a good way for us to explain and to showcase our sustainability, our productivity, and our commitment to feeding and fueling this world that we live in. Again, NCGA will be in booth 1603 in Orlando at Commodity Classic. Tune in April 5th for the next monthly grind with our friends at NCGA. I think farming picked me. I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. 
U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues now, and one story that has been percolating through the ag industry for the better part of a decade has been the growth of cover crops and the ability to keep living roots in that soil and, in turn, increase the economic efficiencies of operations and improve the environmental outcome of farming. However, there have been some challenges that have slowed down the rollout of cover crops. University of Missouri has just won a grant to help solve some of those challenges over the next several years. And joining us now to talk about it is Rob Myers. He's the director of the University of Missouri Center for Regenerative Ag. And Rob, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, glad to. We're very excited about this project. And it is a pretty exciting project, a $10 million grant to help Missouri University double the acreage of cover crops by 2030. Rob, let's talk a little bit about how you plan to do that. What are the current slowdowns in the rollout of cover crop acreage? Well, of course, there's more than one challenge to overcome as we expand cover crop acres across the U.S., but a really key challenge is having enough seed to plant more. For example, right now we have around 20 million acres of cover crops. It takes roughly a half a million acres to grow the seed for those plantings. We expect that we could double the acreage of cover crops in the next seven or eight years uh, to 40 million acres, and that's being driven by a lot of things. But to do that, we'll take a million acres of seed production. So there's growing, increasing that seed production, but there's also having better varieties. A lot of the varieties we have are kind of equivalent to the corn we had in the 1800s. They were never really bred for the uses we're trying to put them to, whether it's erosion control or weed suppression. And so uh, we're already seeing through initial plant breeding that we can make progress in getting some new varieties. So, so this project is really about developing new varieties of cover crops, figuring out the best areas in the United States to increase seed of these varieties and getting them into the hands of farmers. All right. Pretty big goal. Certainly a giant uh, undertaking here for the next several years. And even though the Center for Regenerative Ag at Mizzou is spearheading this, Rob, could you talk about the team that's going to be doing this research and just how geographically diverse are they? It is a broad team across the whole U.S. We have scientists, 38 scientists from 16 states involved. So everywhere from Oregon to Maryland and Minnesota to Texas uh, really tried to make it a diverse geography representing the fact that cover crops are grown all over the United States. So we wanted to be able to test them in the regions where they'll be used. And that's been a challenge. We have right now people sometimes buying cereal rye, not really knowing what they're getting. Maybe it's a Southern type that was developed for Florida, or maybe it's somebody up in the Dakotas that's getting, uh, well, or you you might get a variety that's suited uh, for the north being used in the south. So trying to get the right varieties used in the right place is one of the goals of this project. And it certainly is a worthy goal. Rob, as you think about how this has progressed in in Missouri's place in the cover crop ecosystem, broadly, of course, Missouri, you get ample moisture most years. You've got that seasons, four seasons, of course, in the year. How has cover crop penetration been across your state? 
It's been very good in Missouri. We're at over a million acres of cover crops currently, which is about 10% of the state, and we're seeing increased acreage each year. I think we could easily see that doubling here, again, like what will probably happen nationally over the next seven to eight years. And there's a lot of things driving that. In Missouri, one of the things is uh, we have a lot of cattle, and there are farmers interested in grazing cover crops. But like so many areas, we also have herbicide-resistant weeds that are getting to be worse uh, worse problems. So we have uh, farmers using cover crops to help with that. The interest in soil carbon programs coming from the private sector is, is for also stimulating interest. Literally, almost every major food and ag company now has some type of soil carbon program. Some of those are targeted to certain states. Others are being offered more broadly across, for example, the whole Midwest. So there's lots of things driving this. USDA's new investment in climate smart projects, where they're spending close to $3 billion. Um, those are on a variety of practices, but cover crops will be one of the most common things that will be incentivized. For example, there's a Farmers for Soil Health initiative that is also seeking to double the cover crop acres. So this project is not the only effort that will be um, trying to achieve that goal, but it's, it is the one that will be focused specifically on the variety development and seed supply. All right. Variety development and feed supply, seed supply rather. I'm curious about uh, what we've seen on the research of root zones in fields with cover crops. Of course, that's a huge argument in favor of cover crops, keeping that soil in place, getting those living roots in there. Rob, how does the research on the root zones look so far? And are you guys going to be pushing that further under this grant? We are. That's another thing I'm particularly excited about in this project. Most, much of the work to evaluate uh, cover crops for different areas of the country, we do what's easiest to do, right? We look at what's growing above the ground and we maybe measure how tall the cover crops are. We cut some off and weigh how much is being produced per acre. And those are helpful uh, measures, but really what's important is the roots more than anything. And we don't have a whole lot of information on that, especially how varieties may differ, different species may differ, cover crops, you know, is, is rye have better rooting than oats? We don't really know. So we want to study that as part of this project. We've got some innovative techniques to look at root growth of different varieties and compare the different species. So over the five years of this project, we'll be developing a lot of new insights on the root development of cover crops that I think will be very helpful. It'll be good to get that research into the discussion and start having more facts and figures to talk about. You mentioned the five-year timeline that this uh, this grant operates under. Rob, how soon could we expect to see some, some publications, some data? Would it be the end of this year, or is it going to take a full year to sort of spool things up? And 2024 will be the first year that uh, research will take place in the field. Uh, there will be research happening uh, this uh, fall, starting out, but uh, the first Reports that will be released publicly will start to come out in 2024, and the first national variety test plantings will be in the fall of 2024 because the seed supply of these different improved varieties has to be scaled up. So it, I wish we could go even faster, but it'll take a little time to get all this scaled up. Uh, the, the team that we're working with, some of them have been doing some cover crop breeding. Uh, we hope to see some new varieties coming into the market over the next couple of years and then more with each successive year. So uh, there'll be new uh, information and new varieties uh, coming out as we roll through that five-year period. Part of the new information will be around cover crop grazing, too. We're also going to be looking at the forage quality and grazing 
potential of these new varieties. So that'll be information will be released as the progress proceeds as well. You know, Rob, you mentioned the team there, and I would assume in a project like this, you've got agronomists and soil scientists. Is that uh, the bulk of the folks in this uh, research project? No, it's it's much more diverse. We also have animal scientists. Uh, we are looking uh, too at um, the physiology of how these crops grow. So some some crop physiologists. Uh, we have people who are strong in the genetics helping with it, and then people just looking at the adoption aspects, kind of understanding um, what we need to think about there. One of the challenges is a lot of the cover crop seed sold today is what we call variety not stated. So we will have some education programs that involve uh, ag education experts to help uh, farmers become more aware of the benefits of using named varieties, uh, just like they would with their commodity crops and so that'll be another part of the project is, is those education programs. So, yeah, it's a pretty diverse group, and really key to it is the involvement of the seed industry. I'm really pleased we have the uh, leaders of several uh, cover crop seed companies participating in the project and providing their input on how to be successful with this effort. All right, lots coming here. Rob, if we've got listeners who want to learn more about this issue, where's a good place for them to go? Um, we'll be putting uh, information about the project on our website, which is the uh, Center for Regenerative Agriculture website. If they just do a, an internet search for Missouri and Center for Regenerative Agriculture, they'll find that website and uh, can look for that project information. And Rob, real quick before we let you go, this isn't the first time in recent months that Mizzou has been in the news at the Center for Regenerative Ag. You also got a grant encouraging us uh, climate smart practices. How's that work coming? It is also starting this spring. We got a $25 million grant from USDA, and that one, rather than being a national project, is focused on Missouri, and will include cover crops as well as some nutrient management and grazing programs. We've been doing a lot of planning with our commodity partner teams and other farm and conservation groups, and uh, very excited to get that project launched. We'll be starting to do incentive payments to farmers uh, later this summer or enroll them for different practices, and, and that also is a five-year project with a, a strong farmer outreach component. So we're excited about that. And then the other one I'll quickly mention is uh, I've made brief reference to this Farmers for Soil Health Initiative. We're partners on that as well. We'll have to get you back on to talk more about that in detail. Folks, go to cra.missouri.edu for more information in that Center for Regenerative Ag website. We've been speaking with Dr. Rob Myers, the director. And folks, stay tuned. When AOA returns, Leah Biondo of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association will join us. We'll take a look at product of the U.S. labeling. Stay here for more AOA after this. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action with planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. 
Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Let's take a look at the market trade action here on the day Wednesday ahead of the March World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report out at 11 a.m. Central Time. We have a mostly quiet market trade. Grains, just a couple of cents either side of unchanged. Livestock market is under a little bit of pressure, but not much. Overall, the trade is going to be watching the March report closely. Typically, it's not known for many surprises but any adjustments in the domestic and or global balance sheet could have significant implications. Now, this week's movement, especially in the grains and oil seeds, been more about money flow tied to the Federal Reserve headlines on Wall Street than it has been actual grain supply and demand fundamentals. And that will probably remain the case here in the days ahead as well if today's USDA report fails to have any surprises to capture the trade's attention. Now, the primary fundamental focus currently is on Argentina's drought, where quarter soybean production estimates continue to tumble. The trade will assume that today's anticipated reductions in the size of USDA's estimates will already be outdated, with more significant reductions coming in the months ahead. Ironically, it's largely been traded in soy meal and soybean market, but it's likely to impact the U.S. balance sheets more longer term in the corn market. Total South American soybean production still dynamically higher than last year and more than able to meet global demand with a currency advantage thanks to Brazil's large crop. That isn't necessarily true for the corn market. Livestock trade waiting on cash activity to pick up here this week in cattle as we haven't seen a whole lot. A little bit of light live trade in parts of Iowa this week, but that's about it. We'll probably be waiting till after the WASDE report. Get into Thursday and Friday to get more cash trade happening there. Hogs also fairly quiet. We had a big run-up in that April contract yesterday and looking at still a good move to the upside there to start off the day today. Crude oil is slightly lower. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org slash caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Welcome back to AOA, ladies and gentlemen. The cattle industry is still digging through the recent rule proposal from the USDA on the product of the USA labeling. Joining us now with an update on this issue is Leah Biondo. She's the executive vice president of the U.S. Cattlemen's Association. And Leah, this news, re- news release rather from the USDA was a piece of good news for USCA, wasn't it? Uh, Yes, yes, Mike. This is a big, big deal. This is the most significant action on truth and labeling since the repeal of country of origin labeling um, in 2015 and and the original passing of country of origin labeling in 2008. So again, really big deal we have here this week. Leah, it was back in 2019 that the U.S. Cattlemen's Association sent the petition into USDA saying, hey, take a look at this issue. Let's get it fixed. And what were some of the complaints that you guys leveled back in 2019? So the current definition for product of USA, and again, this is due to, in part, because of the repeal of mandatory country of origin labeling in 2015, but the current definition for a product of the USA label or a made in the USA label is that you can bring imported product or animals into this country, have it undergo a significant transformation. That is the quote, significant transformation that can be as insignificant as either sticking a knife in the product or trimming or rewrapping it. And then that product can claim the product of USA label. Now, from the U.S. cattlemen's perspective, this is wholly unacceptable and a practice that kind of intentionally misleads consumers. Absolutely. And it sounds as though the USDA took those arguments to heart, Leah. And under this proposal, do you think they're closing those loopholes? Is this a win from your perspective in regard to that initial uh, petition back in 2019? This is a win. Now, USDA's Food Safety Inspection Service, in response to our petition back in 2019, they admitted that this product of USA made in the USA label conundrum was causing confusion in the marketplace. And could put, well, they didn't quite admit that at that point, but they did admit that it could be happening. And so they commissioned this consumer study that was also released on Monday. And the consumer study showed that consumers were confused when they go to the marketplace regarding this definition. In fact, only 16% of shoppers were able to correctly identify what product of USA or made in the USA label meant on a beef product. So this um, proposed rulemaking that USDA came out with, and um, I don't even know if we've talked about it yet, Mike, that proposed rulemaking is to uh, close that product of USA loophole that currently exists and instead make the definition for a product of USA be um, a beef product or a meat product that's been born, raised, uh, harvested, and processed in the United States. So that's something that we were seeking in our petition. That's what came out on Monday. Of course, this is a proposed rulemaking, so they will be accepting comments on the proposal. Um, And after the comments are weighed and considered, that's when they'll issue their final rulemaking. All right. And this is a contentious issue. I would expect a lot of cattle producers likely gearing up to submit their comments here to uh, to USDA on this topic. Leah, from the U.S. Cattlemen's Association's perspective, what do you think growers need to be mentioning to the USDA when they're commenting on this rule? 
Absolutely. And so, um, again, comments will be opening here very soon. There's been so many voices in support of this proposed rulemaking, both from the producer side and also from the consumer side. The Consumer Federation of America came out with a statement praising the action. And so um, a lot of voices in support. We are going to have to fight some of those voices in opposition. However, the North American Meat Institute came out with a very um aggressive statement uh, against this proposal. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association also followed suit opposing this uh, proposal. So when growers and producers and ranchers go to submit their comments, they need to specifically and clearly state that they support this closing of the product of USA loophole. Now, this isn't mandatory country of origin labeling. This is a voluntary um, origin label claim which is in use already. So it just makes sense that we need to close this loophole um, and then we can work on some of the other issues. And Leah, you mentioned this is kind of the first major truth and labeling change we've seen in recent years. And I was stunned on some of the surveys uh, that was released earlier this week to kind of back up this move. The pressure from consumers to have an accurate label is really strong out there, isn't it? It sure is. So along with the um, consumer survey that USDA released on Monday, this is, of course, a federally funded uh, survey. We also had some privately funded surveys come out and that one of those was um, commissioned by uh, Coalition for Prosperous America through Morning Consult. This was completed back in, I believe, the fall of 2022. Um, but what it found was that Three quarters of respondents, over three quarters of respondents at 77% said it's important that the beef that they purchase is born, raised, and harvested in the U.S. And so there's huge support for this from the consumer end for good reason. I mean, if you pick up a product in the grocery store and it says made in the USA, it should be American made. And so um, you really can't deny the facts that are in front of us here. Consumers are demanding it. Producers are demanding it. The only folks that seem to be opposed to it are the processors who might have to do a little bit more clerical work on the back end. Well, Leah, I'm wondering with that much political sort of popular consumer support, is there the possibility we could see additional legislation coming in this Congress on on truth in labeling, whether it's an MCOOL mandatory country of origin labeling type bill or just additional stringent requirements? Do we think Congress is going to get active this year on this front? Well, if uh, if we have anything to do to, with it, they will. Uh, the U.S. Cattlemen's Association has been working with some of our key Senate uh, champions. That's Senator John Thune, Mike Rounds, John Tester, all of these voices that have been really supportive of truth and labeling efforts in the past. And we've got in front of us right now the American Beef Labeling Act. This bill would direct the U.S. Trade Representative in coordination and consultation with the U.S. Department of Agriculture to create a WTO compliant um, country of origin labeling program. We completely understand that Canada and Mexico still have those retaliatory tariffs hanging over our heads should we reintroduce a mandatory cool program. But um, we believe that there are WTO compliant ways to introduce something like this. And so that's what the American Beef Labeling Act would do. Um, USDA is hugely supportive of it. And so uh, we'll be pushing that forward in the years or in the months ahead here. All right. We'll see that gaining some ground in D.C. potentially. And I'm, I'm wondering about that voluntary measure, Leah, that from this USDA guidelines here, it is still voluntary. 
we're going to need legislation, right, to make it mandatory. Does USDA have the power to put an M-Cool back into place or would it have to come from a senator or representative? It would have to come from Congress. So um, again, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right there. This is a voluntary claim. Product of USA is a voluntary claim. And so we've seen our trading partners already get a little nervous about this proposed rulemaking, but this is a voluntary origin claim. So um, the issue here, though, is that if people are going to voluntarily use it, um, U.S. Cattlemen's Association believes that it should at least be truthful and correct when its uh, use is is uh, placed there on, on beef products. All right. All right. Leah, are there any concerns that uh, using this claim made in the USA would require a cattleman, American cattleman, to maintain ownership to prove that these cattle were in America their entire time? Or would it just revert to basically the same rules we had under MCOOL back before that was repealed? Ooh, that's one of those sticky technical issues that I might have to revert uh revert to one of our processing committee members on, I would assume that goes back to some of the same rules and regulations as before. Um, but again, this is a voluntary origin claim. So if they're going to use the product of USA label, which we know from the consumer survey that USDA released on Monday, we know that consumers are willing to pay up to three to $4 more per pound of beef for products that show that product of USA label on it. Um, if they want to capitalize on those premiums, they're going to have to pay the ranchers um, for that additional value as well. Wow, three or four dollars a pound in additional premium for knowing that the beef comes from the United States. Leah, was did I get that right? That is right. Yes, and that's right in that consumer survey that was released on Monday. There's some really good nuggets hidden in there. We're going to be working at U.S. Cattlemen's to try to unveil some of that. Um, of course, it's written by an economist or a statistician, so we've got to make those um, a little bit easier to understand. But yeah, three to four dollars more per pound of beef product um, for products that bear that made in the USA or product of the USA label. Well, Leah, we'll continue to watch this. Those That comment period will be opening shortly, folks. If this is something that's important to you, get active, get those comments made. But Leah, before we let you go, we've also got a Brazilian beef ban potentially percolating in Congress. Have we had any progress on that, uh, that tester rounds bill on uh, banning Brazilian beef imports? So this has been a really interesting issue to watch, mostly because we saw for almost the first time here, all three major cattle organizations come out in support of an action by USDA. So um, will all three of us be pressuring USDA here? We have been, we will be, and, and we will continue to be pressuring USDA to close our borders to Brazilian beef. Um, and that's for a multitude of reasons, not just the atypical BSE case that we found earlier this month. That's for environmental concerns. That's for forced labor concerns, that's for uh, food safety and animal health related concerns. So there's many different reasons why um, we should consider halting uh, the importation of beef from Brazil, at least until we've got a better sense of um, what the country is or is not telling us. So we've got a bill in Congress right now introduced by Senators Tester and Rounds that would establish a working group um, to look at some of these issues and, and evaluate the risks associated with them. But also the bill would immediately halt imports of Brazilian beef. So kind of a one-two punch there. We'll see how that conversation progresses, folks. If you want to be active on this issue, you can read about U.S. Cattlemen at their website, uscattlemen.org. We've been talking to Leah Biondo. Stay tuned. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform.
Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. And in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. I think farming picked me. <laughs> I didn't pick farming. I'm not afraid to try something new. It's my farm, my family, and our future. My channel Seedsman gets that. I get access to innovative products with personalized advice backed by data to maximize my yield potential. With channel, I know I'll prosper for years to come. Define your future at channel.com slash future. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM, grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2022 Bayer Group. All rights reserved. On the first Wednesday of every month here on AOA, we get together for the monthly grind, a conversation about corn demand and the partnerships it takes to make that corn industry profitable with our friends from the National Corn Growers Association. Troy Schneider and Janice Hiley of the Market Development Action Team joined us looking ahead to Commodity Classic. Janice, are you excited? Next week, March 9th through 11th, will be the Commodity Classic. This year, it's being held in Orlando, Florida. Our booth is at the trade show floor and just amazing place to check out, by the way, if you're in town. And we're in booth 1603. Troy, what can farmers expect at the NCGA booth this year? Well, Mike, as the producers come on into the trade show floor, we're going to be there in the center stage as one of the main sponsors. And that's a good way for us to explain and to showcase our sustainability, our productivity, and our commitment to feeding and fueling this world that we live in. Again, NCGA will be in booth 1603 in Orlando at Commodity Classic. Tune in April 5th for the next monthly grind with our friends at NCGA. 
Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel-belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar, and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues here. And, well, if you have been watching the financial news at all Wednesday or Tuesday, you've noticed that Chairman Jerome Powell, head of the uh, U.S. Federal Reserve, has been testifying. Yesterday, he was in front of the Senate Banking Committee. Earlier on Wednesday, he testified in front of the House Financial Services Committee. And the question from both the senators and representatives was the same. What is the Federal Reserve going to be doing on interest rates as this year goes on. And in comments from Jerome Powell, he reiterated once again that the Fed's action is going to be predicated on the data if this data continues to come in hot. And he highlighted the recent jobs data, the recent GDP data, several of the factors that lead the Fed to believe that the economy may still be running rather hot. If that data continues, the Fed will or is prepared rather to raise interest rates further. The market is now thinking we might see the Fed funds rate push as high as 6% if the economic data continues coming in hot. We'll continue to watch all of the market digest the Fed chair's remarks. The questions about inflation going forward are certainly going to stick with us for some time. As of now, the markets are starting to firm a little bit. Chairman Powell did say that he has not made a decision on raising interest rates further, and that seems to have reduced a little bit of the tension in the equity markets here to start the day. Over in the grains, we are still seeing a fairly slow set of trade here today. The corn market, old crop down a penny, new crop up, excuse me, Old crop up a penny, new crop down a penny and three quarters. The soybean market positive, but not too much. Old crop up five cents, new crop up one to one and a half cents. The wheat market taking it on a chin. Chicago down seven and a half cents. 
And we've got KC all in Minneapolis, all three down on the day. The trade currently is waiting on data from the USDA. We'll be getting that March World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report this morning from those folks. And tomorrow on AOA, we will be talking to Jim McCormick of agmarket.net. He'll be coming by the Trelleborg booth at the Commodity Classic. Folks, if you are down in Orlando or if you have friends or family who have made the trek down to talk about the future of the industry, send them to Trelleborg. We're going to be broadcasting live tomorrow and Friday from their booth. That's number 1423. And Jim McCormick of agmarket.net will be joining us in that booth tomorrow. And then on Friday, we are going to be talking with Josh Linville, Director of Fertilizer over at Stone X. We also have some news coming out of the Philippines. Folks, one story we have been tracking for several years in agriculture has been the global spread of African swine fever. That disease that gets into pork herds is very, very difficult to eradicate and is almost 100% fatal once it breaks out. It was reported and confirmed that the Philippines have a new African swine fever outbreak. It's in Cebu. They said there were 58 of, out of 149 different blood samples taken, and of those, 58 tested positive for African swine fever. This is the latest outbreak. This, uh, boy, this brings it to 12 in the Philippines, more than 80 different provinces. Next week on Tuesday, we'll be talking with Dr. Paul Sunberg of the Swine Health Information Center. His team tracks the spread of swine diseases both in the United States and globally. We'll get his update on what this tells us about the ability to contain and shrink the threat of risk from that African swine fever. Well, I suppose while we're speaking of animal health diseases, we were talking with Leah Biondo there in segment three about the Brazilian beef import ban that's pending in Congress. Well, there was a Brazilian beef import ban that kicked in as soon as that Brazilian government reported their atypical BSE case, and that was the ban from China. They reacted very, very quickly. They had an existing protocol in place that if Brazil were to report uh, a BSE case, that imports would be shut down until the Chinese could feel a little more confident and get things inspected and reopen it. Well, China has said that they do plan to reopen their market to Brazilian beef fairly shortly. Uh, they say in a couple of days is what they're arguing for. And the Brazilians are now pushing the Chinese for a change to that policy, that instant shutoff of Brazilian beef exports to China. The Brazilians, no doubt, would like to see that ended. So they are going before the Chinese to try and argue that these cases should be uh, treated a little bit differently, and the response should be more slow. Brazil has been in the news a lot, so not just on the animal side with the atypical BSE case, we've also got some news alerts today from Brazil on the row crop side. Notably, a story we talked about here on the program several months ago, a company down in Argentina, Bioceres, has developed a drought-tolerant GMO wheat. They developed it in Argentina. They received Argentine approvals to plant the wheat there in that country in 2022. And it was just announced that Brazil is going to be granting approval to this crop in a push to make themselves more sustainable in wheat production. Uh, the Brazilian government looked around the world and they said that given the concerns in, the, in Europe, given the a war in Ukraine and, quote, more regular droughts hitting crop harvests that has shifted the needle on GMO wheat, which for a long time in both the U.S. and globally has uh, has 
it has not been something the market has been rushing for. There have been concerns, notably from a number of wheat importers, about GMO wheat. But with this push by both Argentina and Brazil, and with the fact that uh, the USDA has signed off on this, uh, this wheat variety, we could be seeing it become even more popular. Now, the Brazilian agency, uh, excuse me, Embrerda, which is their, effectively, their USDA, they did say that as this approval comes out, they are going to be doing more uh, field tests. They're going to be testing um, out in fields throughout the week, and they are going to be utilizing this drought-resistant wheat. So we'll see how that plays out. I don't know if they're going to be getting any in the ground this year. I'm still trying to get some more details on it, but it does sound like that approval is eminent there in Brazil. Well, speaking of issues that we're watching, E15 sales across the country have been postponed to 2024 in a recent decision by the EPA, but two states, Iowa and Nebraska, are prepared to take the EPA to court to get them to push that E15 availability date up to this summer, 2023. We'll talk about that next time on AOA. Folks, thanks for listening. And if you're at Commodity Classic, come see us in the Trelleborg booth, 1423. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, Farm Radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. There are a ton of social networking websites, but one stands apart for a very special reason. This one saves lives. It's MatchingDonors.com. MatchingDonors.com links organ donors with people in need of kidney and other transplants. In the U.S., 22 people die each day waiting for an organ transplant, most of them for kidneys. If you've ever considered becoming a living organ donor, or if you're someone in need of an organ transplant, visit MatchingDonors.com, home of the greatest gift of all, the gift of life. MatchingDonors.com. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and a feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, we can make a difference bite by bite.